0: I want to tell you about uh, a few years ago uh, particularly when I was uh, on sabbatical this was 2020 during covid times and um I uh, I read through the entire bible uh, on on that uh, sabbatical as I, I told many of you, you you know that and what I did was as I as I read I wrote out a, a short summary of every chapter of the bible and uh, I found that process to be super helpful for me just because when you when you read something and then you write out just a summary of what you've read, it just helps to reinforce what you've read. It keeps your mind sort of engaged because a lot of times you just kind of read. And how many of you have had the experience where you read something and all of a sudden you say, what did I just read? You ever had that? I have that often, right? But if you write a summary, I found that it really helped kind of go over and engage. I got to get it through the first time. If I didn't get it, I go through it again so that I can at least force myself to understand what I did. And uh, not only was the process helpful... Um, but the, the result has been very helpful for me because I, uh, I, I compiled all these summaries and, uh, and put them together in a booklet that I have kept in my Bible since then. And uh, it's getting kind of raggedy. I'm going to print a new one uh, with all the edits of, of everything that I, I have done. Um, but as I have continued to read through the scriptures um, each year uh, since then, I've been able to consult my summaries. Just right before I read a chapter, I just kind of read a, read a line of, of what, what that chapter is going to be about. And as I read the the chapter, I'm like, oh yeah, that's what it's about. And then sometimes, even afterwards, I, I can edit it as well. So I've written on here and uh, transformed my original document. Um, uh, and that's been helpful for me. So I just continue to read through the Scriptures uh, each year. Uh, I'm also, it's, it's helpful for me, like when I'm studying or when I hear someone quote a passage of Scripture or quote a verse... I have often gone to this and, and pull it. Well, where, where are they from again? Uh, oh, Isaiah. And so even uh, Gary was reading Isaiah chapter 11. And so I said, what does 11 say? It says, a stump, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, the wolf and the lamb, God will recover the remnant. That kind of gives me a little idea of what chapter 11 is about that we, we read and just kind of helps uh, burn that into me and also one of the things i found is within a minute or so i could take any book of the bible read through my summaries and in a minute or two like like review the whole context of of that book in fact it's uh, been so helpful to me um, that uh, a few years ago avon and i invited some men and some women to join us in reading through the bible and writing summaries along the way um, I had a group and Yvonne had a group, and these groups basically met, read through the scriptures together, and then for an hour each week, really t- tried to keep it to an hour, just, uh, shared with each other. Have you read your scriptures this week? Have you done your, your summaries? And if they did, great. If they didn't, like, okay, well, next year, let, let's, let's start up again next week. You know, it's more important to be here and show up than it is to catch up so you can catch up another time. We talk about what we read. And so helpful were these groups that almost every one of those groups says, can I do it again? And so most of those who read with us a couple years ago are doing it again this year. And uh, last, um, uh, I'm trying to think how I want to say this, but uh, last year also I gave you an opportunity. You said, anyone want to read the Bible with us? We had several want to do that. And so again, we formed a couple groups. We have four groups now of whatever, three to five people. And almost every one of those say, I want to do it again next year. And so just with that in mind with so helpful of those those groups are where people just read through scripture summarize the bible together and then just talk about it on a once once a week meeting um, is it so profitable was this that I've written a book about this entitled My Bible Summaries. Now this is my first draft from the printer it's 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 messed up it's not right but I have uh been editing it and much help to Yvonne and much help to Carissa. Just this week, I was able to get off a second, um, a second draft, and hopefully by the new year, uh, we'll have a bunch of these to hand out. And, uh, this is yours free if you say, you know what, I would like to try that. It's basically a workbook filled with a lot of charts to be able just to fill in what, what helps. And because I, I found that just the, the helpfulness of the, this process is just yourself by right, interacting with that. Some people have asked me, hey, can I, can I have a copy of that booklet? And I say, no. But you can make one for yourself because the prophet isn't in this to you. The prophet is in you spending the time just working at the, the Scriptures and, and working through and getting it um, and then revising it, and, um, and, and then you have a booklet. Then you said, you know what, I, I've read through the Scriptures, and that's helpful. And So I, I envision this year having a few more groups, and uh, it's going to be beyond. Avon and I are leading We'll get other people to lead these groups and just basically lead the discussion. It's really super easy. So if you want to be involved in the group this next year, um, just come up and talk to either Avon or me. That would, be, um, that would be great. In fact, there's a, a copy of my, my book that I read my Bible summaries by Dr. Steve Brandon. I was able to do that. Dr. Steve, that's right. (laughs) And um, so if you want to be involved in that, just talk with one of us, and I suspect we'll probably be another group, and my guess is that most of the people who do that will want to do it again next year. I just hope to develop a Bible reading culture at Rock Valley Bible Church. That's what I want to do, because it's helpful for all of us. And in doing this, right, one of the things that struck me is um, an old familiar verse, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Which says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I've often thought about this verse as as talking about each and every verse of Scripture, Um, meaning that every single verse of Scripture has been breathed by God, and it's profitable to train us in righteousness and in godliness. And indeed, that's so, how I I preach through the Scriptures, believing that. That we just, every single verse, God is something for us, and so we don't need to rush along, but we can take every single verse and um, and, and bring it out. But reading through the Scriptures and seeing the big picture of the Bible, and, and I've been reading through the Bible, I don't know, maybe about eight years or so, uh, just kind of a daily audio Bible, going through that, listening to it, and it's been super helpful. Um, it's given me another perspective, because like, not only is the Bible profitable in individual verses, it's also profitable in chapters. It's also profitable in books. It's also profitable in the whole. In other words, right, there, there are ways that the storyline of the Bible and the repeated patterns and themes that just get pounded and emphasized according to the biblical pattern train us in righteousness, right? When you, when you see the faithfulness of God over and over and over and over again throughout all the Bible, it's far more effective to help train us in righteousness than a verse that just says God is faithful, because you say, yeah, I believe that. And I've seen it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And just the preponderance of that really super helps. Uh, when you see the mercy of God extended over and over and over again to rebellious people. Right? There's hope for you in the gospel. That there's, there's mercy for me. And there's mercy for those in your friend group who don't, who don't know Christ. And, and when you see time and time and time again... Just, and, that, and it's far more effective than just a verse that says God is merciful. Just, just a pattern of, of all Scripture and how that's, how that's helpful. Or, or when you see the sovereignty of God exerted over and over and over again, it gives you confidence the Lord is sovereign over all things. More than just a verse, like just this past week, I read from Daniel chapter 4 about Nebuchadnezzar. And the, his whole story was he was humbled until he realized that the Most High is sovereign over the realm of mankind, and he does whatever he will. And it's one that's in Daniel 4. But when you begin to see it in, in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and you see the sovereignty of God in the affairs of man, you just, you, it becomes more and more convincing than just a single verse. And so that's one of the things that I have, have learned of just seeing through the, the, just, just the scriptures as it goes by, just all of scripture is helpful in these things. Well, it's in that spirit that I plan to preach a, a Christmas series, uh, this Christmas season. Oftentimes, um, people, I do have done. I think it's good to to take a single verse in the Old Testament, and see how it's fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. Say Isaiah seven fourteen, uh, which speaks about a, a virgin to be a child and bear a son, and you will call his name what? Emmanuel. Right. And so we can look at that verse, and it's wonderful. And that is the message of, of Christmas: is that God came us to us in a baby. Um, oftentimes Christmas time, say um, Micah chapter five verse two, prophesied how. Christ will be born in Bethlehem. That's good, right? That's a good verse. We can kind of look at that and just see the Old Testament prophecy honing in on that or how Jesus was prophesied, the the child that was given to reign over us. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. Name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 9, is a great passage to look at over Christmas time. And I've done that often and will continue to do that in years to come. But this morning, just in light of my emphasis, my call to to have you perhaps consider just reading through the Scriptures and writing summaries of the Bible together, I want to take a different approach this Christmas season. Over the next three weeks, what I want to do is just look at major portions of the Old Testament and uh, show you how they all cultivate just this anticipation of a Messiah to come. Uh, Not necessarily from individual verses of the Bible, which even are prophesying of this, but just in the broad themes of the storyline of the Old Testament. And so this morning, what I want to do is take some of the writings of Moses. I had aimed to, to do all the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But I'm just going to do Genesis, half of Exodus, and then comment on half of Exodus and comment on Leviticus is kind of what I'm going to do. Is kind of all we have time for this morning. But my message is entitled, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because this is the heart of the Bible. This is the heart of those, particularly in the Old Testament, who were longing for their Messiah to come. And so I want you to do is open your Bible to uh, Genesis, right there at the very beginning, very first chapter, very first word of the Bible, <clears throat> right here in Genesis. And so, in the spirit of working through to capture summaries, what I'm going to do this morning is, it share some summaries of mine with the first few chapters in the book of Genesis. Here's Genesis chapter one. Here's my summary. Just, just right here, right down here, right? The six days of creation. It's easy enough. You probably know that. It just takes you through the six days. First chapter of the Bible explains how the world was created by God, who spoke it into existence in six days. Now, I'd love to include my, in my summary, just the different things. That was created on the, the six days. Light and expanse on the first day. Light and darkness on the first day. The expanse on the second day. The plants on the third day. The sun, moon, and stars on the fourth day. And then the animals and the, the skies and the sea on the fifth day. And then the land animals and human beings on the sixth day. I would love to include that, but then I can't get Genesis on one page. And so, there it is. Six days of creation. Hope that's easy enough for you. See how hard this is. When you can read through that, and you say, oh, six days of creation. And then you get to chapter 2, and here's my summary God rested on the seventh day, the creation of Adam and Eve. And it begins in the verse four, three verses about the, the resting on the seventh day and how Adam and Eve were, were created, particularly, right? Adam from the dust of the ground and Eve from his rib. And they were living in communion with God in perfect paradise in Eden. Until chapter 3, we see sin entering the world, and that's what we see here in Genesis chapter 3. The fall, the curses, Adam and Eve banished from the garden. The, the fall is what theologians refer to as the, the fall of man. That is the fall from innocence, then through sin, into sin, because of the eating of the forbidding fruit. forbidden fruit, ultimately disobeying God is what the issue was. And then come the curses, the the judgment that God had upon the serpent and upon the woman and upon the man for their role in disobeying the Lord. And then Adam and Eve are banished from the garden to take on the difficult life of toiling and laboring with thorns and thistles, eating from the sweat of their brow. And nestled into these curses comes a promise. It's a promise to the serpent of conflict that he will have as a result of this curse, in a day of ultimate defeat. Genesis 3.15. It's on the screen. I'll just read it for you now. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now I've heard that this verse here is the message of the Bible. All the rest is commentary, is what someone has said. This verse is often called the Proto-Evangelion. That is the first gospel, proto first, euangelion, the good news, eu, eulogy, angelion, angel, message, proto euangelion, the first message, first gospel. This is the first time that God speaks good news into a fallen world. And the verse speaks about the conflict that Satan will have with the woman and particularly with her posterity, and there will be enmity. And the good news for us and the bad news for Satan is that, um, that one will come, to crush Satan, delivering a death wound on the head, though in the battle, um, Satan will manage to bruise his heel. And that's the story of the Bible, right? Satan waging war with humanity, but the seed of the woman, Jesus, coming in and conquering, winning the war, dying on the cross for our sins, Right, receiving a, a wound in the heel because he comes to life again, rising from the dead, conquering death and Satan. That's the message of the Bible right there. Everything else is commentary. Now, it's interesting. We know the ending. But those living through biblical history didn't. Instead, those in the Old Testament looked at this promise and longed and longed and longed for this seed of the woman to come and and crush Satan. Um, You know, it's kind of like they were... You ever watch a movie for the first time? It's a bit different than watching it for the second time? Because the second time, you already know how it's going to end. Though, though still there's some anxiety and some angst and things. We are like, we've seen the movie, right? We know Jesus comes and we know that he wins. But for those of the Old Testament, before Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, they were seeing the movie for the first time. And they were longing and longing for this Emmanuel to come. <clears throat> and when you read through the entirety of the Old Testament, you can see the need that the people of Israel had for God to come and save them from the clutches of Satan's devices. And you sense this longing. And beyond even specific verses that prophesy of a coming Messiah, you see the groaning and the longing of creation for the Messiah to come. And understanding this and knowing this helps make a full impact upon Christmas. Because in Christmas time, what do we do? We put ourselves back. To Mary and Joseph, we put ourselves back to the shepherds who didn't know what was coming, but but had this anticipation, had this longing. And I just say that through the whole of the Testament, this longing builds and builds and builds and builds. It's like it's like sometimes we just in Christmas time we just jump right to the climax of the movie, right? We just ditch the first ninety minutes and we come right to that point where everything resolves, and then we just have that little ten minutes of finishing. But I want us this Christmas season even to think about the first ninety minutes of the film. Right, the first 90 minutes of the story. The first thousands of years before the story. To feel the weight of the coming Messiah. That it might not be lost upon us. I want us to be like Anna, the prophetess told about in Luke chapter 2, the daughter of Phanuel. She's married for seven years and then her husband died. And she is a widow committed herself to serving the Lord in the temple. It reads in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 37, Anna did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And she was an old woman. When she was 84 years old, she got a glimpse of the baby Jesus in the temple. And when she did, she came up to him and she began to give thanks. Luke chapter 2, verse 38. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. In other words, there were lots of people there in the temple waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, waiting for the seed of the woman to come up and redeem Israel. And so likewise, she is like the culmination of everything. Thousands of years after this promise And that's the the culture in which Jesus was born. There was this longing that God would come and ransom them. That's the title of my message. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Longing for Emmanuel to come. And my argument this morning is that reading through the Old Testament can bring that longing into our hearts. Even if it doesn't come from specific verses in the Bible. But it comes from chapter after chapter of seeing sin in the world. And seeing the only thing that's going to resolve this is the coming of Christ to fix our problem. So let's just consider the next few chapters of Genesis. These are just taken right, right from a book here. Chapter 4, right? Cain kills Abel and the genealogy from Cain to Lamech. Easy enough. And then chapter 5, the genealogy from Adam to Noah. I'll die, but Enoch. You know, it's interesting here. There's lots of genealogy in chapter 4 and in chapter 5. And, and we're prone just to skip those sections of Scripture. But if you read through them and you, and you think, right, there's a purpose for them. We often think, oh, that's, that's irrelevant. But no, there's a purpose to them. And they show the expanding population on the earth. Yet during this time, death and sin reigned because, as chapter 5 says, that they all died. Except Enoch walked with God and he was, was taken. Behold, during this time, Eden wasn't restored. The Sea of the woman hadn't arisen yet to defeat Satan. Instead, things went from bad to worse. And we see this in chapter 6. We see man's wickedness and then directions for the ark. These two things are tied together. The wickedness of man stirred the Lord to destroy the earth with a flood. And how wicked was the earth? Genesis 6.5 The Lord saw that even the wickedness saw that the wickedness of man was greater than the earth and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. On the one hand, you see the breadth of sin. It was... God looked out, sin rampant upon the earth, from this one sin in Arden, in, in Eden, rampant upon the earth, and then deep in the heart of every soul, every intention of the, not just the thoughts of man was sinful, but even the formation, the formation of those thoughts of the heart, only evil, continually evil. And that's widespread for all these genealogies. It's the earth is expanding more and more. See, so why didn't the Lord destroy the earth right then and there? You know what? He made a promise back in chapter 3, verse 15, to conquer Satan. And he couldn't destroy the earth without bringing that Genesis three fifteen promise to bear. But in God's grace, he chose to save Noah. He instructed Noah to build an ark. And in chapter 7, Noah and the animals enter the ark. And then the flood comes in chapter 8. I like this summary. The flood subsides, the dove flies, and Noah sacrifice. Easy to memorize, right? The flood subsides, and then the dove, right? That's where the, the dove was let out, and he comes back with a, a fig leaf in its in its um, beak, and then Noah sacrificed. And eventually, you have a new humanity that comes upon the earth, but it was no better than the ones before the flood, because it says in Genesis 8.21, the intention of man's heart was only evil from the, his youth. Such destruction upon the earth speaks about the devastation of sin. And even these statements, Genesis 6.5 and Genesis 8.21, just created us a longing, right? Something needs to change, right? The, the, the sinfulness of man is, is great. God needs to come and He needs to solve that problem of our sin. And there's a longing in the story of Genesis to see that problem fixed. And that's the anticipation of Christmas, and I know you're this morning, the anticipation of Christmas isn't coming from verses in the Bible. Like Genesis 1 through 8 doesn't necessarily talk about Christmas and the baby coming, but it talks about there's going to be this time when God comes and sends this seed who's going to crush serpent's head. And it's just building. It's just building about the tension and how much need is there. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. I want you to feel the passion of those words. And by the time you get to Genesis 8, you ought to have those passions. Come and fix us. Oh, come. Oh, come and be with us, right? Because we've gone from a, a perfect garden destroyed by sin, and now that sin has spread throughout the whole earth. But rather than bringing a savior, God first builds a people. Genesis 12, here's my summary. Abraham promised a land, a nation, and a blessing. And then I included the other things here for you. Abram's journey to Egypt and Abram and Sarah lied to Pharaoh. This is called the call of Abraham, who would eventually become known, call of Abram, who was eventually known as Abraham. And here, I include the call because this is so important. As the promise of Genesis 3.15 to redeem humanity now gets focused upon a man and a nation coming from him as he builds a nation, this blessing, the seed of the woman, is going to come through this man. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred into your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, there are three parts to this promise there is the promise of a land, second, there's a promise that Abraham's descendants should be great. I'm calling that a nation. And thirdly, there's a promise of blessing. And you can just see that right there in my summary, right? Abram promised a land, a nation, and blessing that comes right from here. Now, that's not the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. Abraham wasn't the seed of the woman who, who crushed Satan. Instead, Abraham, as you see, even see there, right? he lies about his woman. In chapter 20, he does it again. Like, Abraham is not capable even of his own life to conquer his own life, his own sin, We need someone who can conquer his own sin to come. He's ready to sell off his wife. A sinner like us all. Now, in many ways, however, um, this promise is like Genesis 3.15. It's it's the, the promise of the blessings that God would bring upon the whole earth. It would come through Abraham. And uh, the Apostle Paul would later say, do I have that? Yeah, here it is. Here it is. All the families of the earth should be blessed. Right? There's the key that, that like, extends to everything. This is the seed of the gospel. This is the longing, oh God, that we want in you all the nations of the earth to be blessed. Paul would later say in Galatians 3, verse 18, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you all the families of the earth would be blessed. So this isn't the proto eongelion this isn't the first mention of the gospel, but this is a super early mention of the gospel, talking about in Abraham all the families of the earth would be blessed. That is, Messiah would come for Israel, yes, but even beyond Israel, beyond this nation, to all the families of the earth. And that's the great mystery of the gospel that we've been even talking about in the book of Acts, is that is that the gospel is going to Gentiles as well jesus came to be a sacrifice for all who believe jew and gentile alike in our prayer meeting you're invited nine o'clock downstairs to stir our prayers we just prayed um, john three thirty six. whoever believes in the son has eternal life and the verse ends whoever does not obey the son shall not see life but the wrath of god remains on him and we just prayed for unsafe people in our people group that's all we did for unsaved people, because whoever believes has eternal life, but whoever does not obey shall not see him. And just longing for people to come to Jesus I was encouraged by we've been going through Acts and encouraged by the Apostle Paul, who wasn't even seeking God, but God sought him out. He's a chosen vessel of mine, I'm going to save him. And that God might do that with people in our sphere who aren't even seeking God, that God would come in and show Himself to them. But O come, O come, Emmanuel is the longing of the, the Jewish people, right, to, to see God fix their problem from the birth of their nation, even. And so oh, back in Genesis 12, right, we see this just in, in, in seed form. It's just Abraham and Sarah, right? They're going to become this big nation, right? But they're old. Sarah's like 90, and Abraham's 100. But in hope against hope, they had a child. And what was Abraham and Sarah's child's name? It was well, Ishmael, was Hagar, Isaac, right? And Isaac had two children, and his name, their names were Jacob and Esau. And uh, Jacob had 12 sons, and his name, their names were... All right, all right. Let's say it together. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan... Naphtali, it had Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. If you need I got a song for that that kind of will help you with that. Some of you singing the song, right? Amanda, you know the song? Yep, you know the song. It's so important, right? To know to know these. But these are the these are the the sons, but none of them were the seed of the woman who come to crush Satan's head. They all brought trouble. They didn't bring blessing. In fact, you read through the book of Genesis like working your way through a modern soap opera. Deceit, immorality, adultery, incest, family jealousy, betrayal. Okay, consider some of my chapter summaries. Genesis 25, Jacob steals Esau's birthright. A little deception there. Rebecca helps. 27, Jacob steals Esau's blessing. Just the family dynamics there. Shechem. The Hivite rapes Dinah. Horrific. 37. Joseph's dreams about sheaves and stars. Joseph sold into slavery, betrayed by his brothers. Judah with Tamar, his daughter-in-law. These were the great patriarchs. The founders of our nation. The founding fathers. That's who these, these men were. There's no hope in these guys. Right? They were as sinful as can be. It teaches the longing. They're not longing for the, the patriarchs. They're longing for someone bigger. They're longing for something better than the patriarchs. And eventually things got really bad. Yes, they multiplied to be north of a million, but then they were slaved in Egypt. That's even another story, but let's let's go to Exodus. Exodus chapter 1, Israel's sons are listed. The Hebrew people are oppressed by a new pharaoh, by slavery and male infanticide. Here's the great nation of Israel, right? They had come of the promise of Abraham, right? Now they've got a million or two million, whatever they have. But they were forced to serve the Egyptians, providing their labor for their great building projects like the big pyramids. You know how the big pyramids got built? On the backs of the Hebrew people. They were oppressed as the Egyptians were killing their newborn sons, a newborn son was born. They'd kill him. This just created a longing in their hearts. They longed for someone to come and deliver them. And that's when Moses came upon the scene. Here's my summary from chapter 2, and that's pretty long because it's really pretty important. And it takes um, one, two, three, four lines of my summary book. This is exactly what it says, though, right? Moses is born, raised by Pharaoh's daughter, killed an Egyptian, fled to Midian, married Zipporah, who bore Gershom, God heard Israel's cry and remembered his covenant. Lots of things, right? First of all, is the birth of Moses. I, I trust you remember the story about how Moses was born and rather being killed, he was hidden for three months and he was placed in the, in the basket and Pharaoh's daughter was out bathing, heard the sound, had compassion upon Moses, brought her in, brought him in and raised him as uh, her own. He knew he was a Hebrew, but... Trained by the Egyptians, a perfect man to deliver Israel. And at one point he saw these Egyptians persecuting this Jewish man, got so angry that he killed the man, it was found out, so he fled to Midian. That's the first great event of chapter two. The second great event was here, this thing that God heard Israel's cry and remembered his covenant. I just want to just share with you what this is. It's the end of chapter two. They were they were crying out, Oh come, O oh, come, Emmanuel. This is what they were crying out. Listen. It says, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Now, this is no Christmas prophecy. There, there's there's nobody that says oh this is right they're, they're longing for right this is the fulfillment in jesus right because this is actually about moses whom i love this god prepared moses perfectly and then israel cried out he's like i got the man i'm preparing him he's coming for you and in chapter three he, he begins to come and this is no christmas prophecy but this is exactly what the people of the new testament were crying out they're crying out we are are oppressed oh god Like, bring us help. We we need help. And I love here how God remembered His covenant with Abraham. Genesis 12. I'm going to bring great blessing to the world through you and your seed. This mirrors the longing of God's people through the Old Testament. They're in trouble. They needed help with God to save them. And, and, And in Exodus, right? they were longing for God to bring the seed of the woman to crush the Egyptians. And God heard their cry. He remembered His covenant. And He raised up Moses to deliver them. And uh, no task is too small with God. I think about the book of Exodus. And God redeems millions of people from slavery to freedom. And I trust you remember how God did this, right? He did this by demonstrating His power to the Egyptians. Moses and Aaron go in to entreat Pharaoh. I'm just going to bring up several chapters. A bunch of chapters are just to fly by. This is is what I have in my my summary book here. I've got Aaron's staff becomes a serpent, right? And then the Nile turns to blood. And then there's frogs. And fair begins the weekend. There's gnats and swarms of insects. In chapter 9, there's pestilence, boils, hail on the Egyptians. Chapter 10, we've got locusts and darkness. Chapters 11, right, there's the warning of the firstborn plague. Right? You better obey or the angel of the Lord is going to come through and strike down every firstborn. Chapter 12 is the Passover lamb and the unleavened bread feast. And then the Lord goes and strikes... Um, and in Israel left Egypt. When the Lord struck right, He killed all the firstborn. The more on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then chapter 13, as God leads by a pillar of cloud and fire to the Red Sea, and I've left out a little bit of my details here in 13, 14, and 15, just to have space. But in 14, they crossed the divided sea, the Egyptians drowned. and then Moses' song of victory. There is redemption of what Moses did. What a great redemption that is, redeeming millions of people. And yet, that's just the first fruits. Of what God was planning to do with His Messiah. This is a physical redemption from slavery. Temporary. But God spiritually redeems us from the slavery of sin eternally in Jesus. This with Moses was a a national redemption. Just the people of Israel. But Jesus will redeem men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Moses was like a like a type of Jesus of just a little example of what to taste for. And here you have the idea of redemption, right? Do you remember Anna? She was sharing with all those who were longing for the redemption of Jerusalem. They were longing for the Messiah to come back and redeem them from the Romans. And they were longing for that, not realizing it's bigger than that. It's bigger than just the Romans. It's bigger than just the Egyptians. It's redeeming us from our sin. But even Moses would say later in the Pentateuch that what I am is just a taste of the Redeemer to come Deuteronomy 18 verse 15 the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you and your brothers it's to him that you should listen right listen to that next prophet coming up to the one that's coming and so Israel like if you were an educated Jew at that time you'd be oh come oh come Emmanuel right the one greater than Moses the one that Moses spoke about that that we need to listen to him in fact if you're attentive, this is what Peter preached in, um, um, in Acts chapter 3. He said, Moses even said, You shall listen to him, and you've not listened to him, you stiff necked, rebellious of heart. And of course, right, Moses, you're talking about Jesus, the one that they should long for, the one that we long for at Christmas time. And really, that's the burden of my message: is that you would not like long for Moses, but you would long for this one to whom Moses says. And this isn't a Christmas prophecy either, but it, but it's a it's a prophecy of someone greater than Moses. And it puts us into the the Hebrew mindset the time before they were in before they were rescued from their slavery, just longing, "Oh God, we need your help. Come and deliver us." He says, "I, I got gotcha. you." Here is Moses. And so likewise at the time in the New Testament, they're longing and saying, Oh come, O come, Emmanuel. Well, I'm running short of time. And I said I'd do Genesis, I'd do half of Exodus. I just want to give you a New Testament verse about the second part of Exodus and Leviticus that we could we could go through, but for the sake of time, we're not going to. And I just want to share a couple of verses with you to open your minds how the Old Testament is anticipating this Messiah and longing and on creating in us a longing for the Messiah to come my first verse comes from matthew 11 verse 13 it simply says this for all the prophets and the law prophesied until john <clears throat> in the context that it's jesus talking he's talking about john the baptist in this verse he's saying that there are two portions of the old testament that prophesied of something greater to come the prophets prophesied and the law prophesied that's hmm. interesting we we know how the prophets prophesy the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. We know that, but that's how the prophets prophesy. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are too little to be among the clans of Judah. For from you, one shall come forth from me, who is to be ruler in Israel, whose comings forth is from of old, from ancient of days. That's how the prophecy prophesies. How does the law prophesy, though? I'm not sure you've ever thought about that. How does the law prophesy? It doesn't do it like the prophets do. It doesn't say, well, here's the, here's the coming one. There aren't passages in the law that prophesy of the coming Messiah. But instead, when the law prophesies, basically what it is, is it's, it's this sense we get. This, this understanding of brokenness. And this, this, this longing for being made righteous. Knowing that we can't live up to the law's demands. Romans 3.20, verse you should know, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law is teaching us of the knowledge of sin and the knowledge of sin in us is what's compelling us that there's something better and that's what's prophesying is what Jesus says. And and, and who's that better? Who keeps the law for us? Who kept the law perfectly? Center school answer, Jesus did that, right? And, And you get this sense, right? You work through scripture over and over you see how Israel failed to live the lives that they were called to live. They failed to keep the law. But there's one that we're longing for and hoping for, right? It's the law kind of paints this picture of the perfect man, uh, of the law abiding in every way. And it's painting this picture and prophesying, here's a portrait of the one to come. And then Jesus comes and he fulfills the law in perfect agreement with what the law was talking about. And the law tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It tells us to love our neighbor as ourself. And if you understand what it means to love God with everything, you realize, you don't do that. I don't do that. Loving neighbor, loving God with all that we have. Prophesize of sin within us, longing for something bigger and something greater. O oh, come, O oh, come, Emmanuel. And that would be like the second half of, of, of Exodus. We could take you through, like, like passage after passage after passage, it shows your sin, and you show your sin, you, you long for God to come and save you from that. And they got another one from Hebrews chapter ten. This is my, my Leviticus, so I could go through Leviticus and show you sir, sir, some of my summaries. In fact, even here, like Leviticus chapter one: burnt offerings from the herd, flock, and birds; two, grain offerings unleavened with salt and oil; three, peace offerings from the herd and flock; four, sin offerings for priests, for the whole congregation, for leaders, and for person, for the common person; five, sin offerings from the herd, the bird, or the grain. Just over and over, right? Sacrific- and, and many of you, how many of you tried to read through the Bible and died in the desert of Leviticus? How many of you have done that before, right? And, and you will if you don't have this O come, O come, Emmanuel and realize that there's something that this just repeated emphasis upon sacrifice and upon sacrifice and upon sacrifice teaches you. And it, it's teaching you of a, of a greater sacrifice. Just consider this Hebrews 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities... This is shadow in Leviticus 1-5, through what I read for you. That's a shadow of something to come. In fact, that's what the writer of the Hebrews is saying. He says that that the law, the sacrifices, were prophesying of something better. He said, these sacrifices can never by the same sacrifices they're continually offered year after year make perfect those who draw near. In other words, right, these sacrifices over and over and over again. The design of these sacrifices is that there are weekly sacrifices, daily sacrifices, right? We just read that recently in our family worship. Numbers chapters 27, 28, 29. Talk about the daily sacrifices, the lamb in the morning, the lamb in the evening. Talk about the weekly sacrifices or the Passover. Talk about the monthly sacrifices at the, um, the, the point in time, the new moon, the festivals, the yearly sacrifice that you would have. Just all, all these sacrifices. And the whole point is that you always need a sacrifice and you're never perfect. You're never quite there. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. It can never make perfect those drawings. If it would, verse 2, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had any consciousness of sins. If the sacrifice of the Old Testament were perfect, they'd make you clean forever. No more sacrifice. But the fact that they come again and again and again and again demonstrate they're a shadow pointing to something better, which is the reality. Verse 1 says, Verse 3, but in those sacrifices there's a reminder of sins every year, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Leviticus creates in us a longing for that perfect sacrifice to come, for Emmanuel to come and offer that once for all sacrifice for all time, where you can sit down and we never need to repeat sacrifices again. And that's, that's the longing through the law, that's the longing of of sacrifices and so i just i just say this that in light of summary in light of reading through the entire scripture i hope you see i just it, it's not just a verse and then an application a verse you move here it's like the the scheme of things when you read for a week at a time all these sacrifices of of leviticus you're like oh thankful for the sacrifice of jesus thankful how this points to him and, and just even this christmas season we just think today through moses and next week we're going to pick it up. Joshua judges and through First and Second Samuel, First and Second, look at the history of Israel. How that prophesies of a, of a coming and longing for Emmanuel. Then we'll look at the prophets. Then the week after that. I just hope that it stirs within you, right? This this longing for this Jesus to come. And of course He has come, and He is our perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect Redeemer that Moses wasn't. He is the one who was the the seed of the woman who crushed serpent's head, crushed the serpent's head, and in that we can rejoice. But again, this Christmas season, big scope of Scripture, look back and just, I want to say, O come, O come, Emmanuel. In fact, I've asked Ryan, we're going to sing that verse, that song, every Sunday until Christmas. So we sang it last week. I'm going to show you remember. We sang it this week. Maybe you noticed. We're going to sing it next week and the next week, creating in us a a longing that the Emmanuel would come, that God would come and ransom captive Israel. So let's, let's pray together. Father, I just would pray that we all might become better readers of the Bible, not merely Bible quoters, not merely those who have issues at hand and know what verses to go through, but rather to see how you've given us your revelation. Is the long story form. It is a novel for us to read and to marvel at, and just even the motif of a movie. God, even what we've seen today is just a moving of God in the Old Testament to stir seeds of hope for redemption and hope for deliverance from this world. And thank You that Jesus has come. Certainly we know the end of the story. He has been the sacrifice for our sins. May we trust in Him completely with our whole hearts for our whole lives. May You transform us by Your grace. God, to stir us to walk in Your ways. That's all I can ask. and That's all I would pray that we would be. I pray also for our fellowship dinner together here um, just after... After our service today, I just would pray that it would be a, a profitable time. May we meet someone new. May we find out ways to pray for other people in ways we didn't know before. May you help us encourage us, oh God, as a church, to be a, a genuine family of families. God, who love one another, serve one another, and help us as we do life together. and walk through life day by day. Be with us, oh Lord, we pray. Thank you for the food you provided, the provision that we have. pray in Jesus' name. Amen.